All right. Welcome into the Sandcrawler. We're on volume two, episode two. This is Daniel doing the intro today. We'll alternate that. Uh, I'm here with my co-host, Jeff. And as you can see for our YouTube viewers and listeners, uh, we actually have like some stuff on the screen. Uh, We won't try to rely on it too heavily because I know that we're trying to do this as a podcast forum. But visual aids, they help. For today's episode, as with many of our episodes, we'll try to make them not only topical and relevant to the time, um, but I also want to make sure that they have some staying power. Uh, And by that, I mean, you know, yeah, like you can see, we're going to get into Mandalorian season three, episode three. But rather than just reacting to it, which we will, but rather than just reacting to it, I'd really like to get into some of the stuff that some of the lore building that it did and some of what it introduced for the larger context of Star Wars and how that might affect the future and the current and everything like that in the canon. And so we'll make sure that it's not just a reaction. I'm obviously Mandalorian season three, episode four is going to come out in like five days. And we want to make sure that, you know, this episode's still worthy of your listen. So uh, we'll get into relevant topics like that. So we're going to hit Mandalorian Season 3, Episode 3. We're going to get into a segment uh, that we're going to start for the podcast called, um, well, we haven't named it yet, but it is essentially The Essential Guide. So some some elaborate name. If, if our listeners want to chime in with a proposed name, we'll, we'll, take, we'll take it under advice. Um, but it, basically an opportunity for us to dive into a particular planet, species, character maybe, uh, things like that in the Star Wars universe that, again, have staying power and will be relevant a week from today. So today we've chosen the planet Duro and their native species, Duros. And uh, we'll, we'll, Jeff and I will wax philosophical a little bit about that species. And then we'll wrap it up with a giveaway. Yes, a giveaway. Finally, a real giveaway. It's going to happen. Um, it's going to be great. Man, I sounded like a former president right there. Anyway, we're going to do a giveaway where um, it's going to be very simple. The rules, we'll get into it a little bit later, um, but we're not going to make this a very involved giveaway. You're not going to have a whole lot of obligation. We want you to follow us on Instagram at the Sandcrawler Podcast, and we would like you to send us a uh, the code word, which we'll give away later in the show. And that's it. Uh, no tagging us, no no reposting, no letting friends know, no broadcasting. Uh, follow and send us the word. So, Jeff, after that introduction, anything else you want to get into before we we, we dive into Mando in, in, in the in- introduction? Otherwise, I'll be happy to turn it over to you to discuss a little, little, little Mandalorian episode three. Definitely follow us because I think we have enough of a treasure trove of stuff that Oh, I'm going to guess 20 episodes in, and we're probably going to start to give away really cool stuff. Uh, I mean, like, not that the micro machines aren't really cool, Daniel, but like, I could see myself, we get to the holiday time, I may be feeling a bit benevolent, and uh, maybe we give away a sideshow or a hot toy figure. I just don't know. But that's that's incentive enough for you all to listen. Santa might come a little bit early. So, yeah, on that note, I'm all in favor of. Anything we can do to, to buy your listenership and your your patronage, but yeah, feel free to jump into Mando. I thought I thought this week's was a pretty. I have mixed feelings, but I'll let you I'll let you jump in, and then I'll kind of give you my two cents. 
I think that's fair. Um, I did a I did a heavy lift on the intro, so I don't want to I don't want to talk or take over the 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 conversation. But I will say this: it didn't end up being the greatest Mandalorian episode ever. But the opening scene, I actually thought it was going to turn into being the best Mandalorian episode of all time. Um, but I also rolled the dice and thought to myself, uh oh. If this scene was so masterfully done, are we are we about to see kind of a snoozer? Um, and I'm not going to go so far as to call it that. I thought it was like a pretty solid entry into the the Mandoverse and into the greater post Return of the Jedi Disney era of Star Wars. Um, I thought that it showed a lot of cool stuff in terms of Coruscant, which we'll get into in a little bit. Um, the opening and then the closing, where we actually see. Uh, Mando, Din Djarin, and, and, and Bo-Katan, and all of that. Um, I thought that was really interesting and intriguing um, and good for the Mandalorian plot. And then I thought that the stuff with Dr. Pershing and um, Elia, Elia Kane, I think, um, yeah. the, the Mo- Mo- Moff Gideon's communications officer, uh, formerly, perhaps. Um, and uh, I, like those scenes... I appreciated them more for how they expanded the general lore of Star Wars uh, rather than how they uh, expanded on the Mandalorian's story itself. So I liked seeing the New Republic in action. Um, Dr. Pershing presented in the Opera House, which you might have recognized from uh, Revenge of the Sith. And uh, so it was cool how they repurposed that as kind of the New Republic. We'll call it the Senate. Um and uh, they didn't they clearly weren't using like the the, the actual senatorial auditorium um, and they weren't uh, they weren't they weren't at Imperial Palace, which is a pretty strong statement. So um, there's a few things uh, that that happened that we saw. There were some Easter eggs. We don't need to get into all of that. But but Jeff, um, let me throw it to you. What did where are you at with that episode? What did you think? So the opening with all of the sort of tie interceptor hive or the, the tie interceptor fleet was awesome. Uh, and, and I think outside of Return of the Jedi, like we haven't really been able to see a TIE swarm like that. So I was pretty excited because to your point, mm-hmm. I the direction of that was getting exciting. And then I thought, I actually thought for a minute towards the end of that sequence where Bo-Katan is chasing the remaining two or three TIE bombers and then suddenly they hit another wave. And she, one of, I think Din Djarin makes the comment, like there's no reason, that, like there's no way that an Imperial warlord has that much at his disposal. Did part of you wonder if we were going to get a little bit of a Thrawn tease in that? Like, I yeah, across, yeah. Across so line, I didn't think we were going to see Thrawn, but like, I wondered if that was sort of the um, a foreshadowing to like we were going to see a capital ship, and then suddenly it was going to be like, well, you know who that is, and so that right. part was yeah, that part was cool to me. Um, that sequence was very fun. To use the expression we used last week, I think my wife and I were watching, we kind of joked, and she said the same thing. It's like, oh, such good Star Wars candy. And it really was. It was very reminiscent with, like, the cockpit sequences from, like, the over-the-shoulder view and sort of the the camera angle. It felt very – this is probably pretty on the nose, but it felt very, like, X-Wing TIE Fighter to me, the old game. And I, sure. I was pretty excited by that, like, even the targeting. Um, I, so I really liked that that whole sequence, good fun. And we kind of know where Bo Katan's sort of general plot arc is going to go. Agreed on Coruscant, by the way. The thing I said to my wife when that sequence happened and we saw like the 
Rebel Alliance insignia kind of on some of these buildings was uh, this is the first time I've I've ever seen Coruscant, you know, post-imperial um, yeah. destruction or dissolution. Like this is the New Republic. I, I liked that. And yeah. I actually really enjoyed the sequences where the Mon Cala that were there and then also some of the robots, like they kind of paint that picture of not that the New Republic's not sinister, but there's sort of like the veneer of friendliness that belies a darker intent that all yep. like large system systematic governments would have. And I, I really like when we get to see that version of either the rebel Alliance, like in rogue one with some of those intelligence operatives or like what we got to see where that robots obviously appears to be, you know, good and helpful, but in reality, like there's a, there's an ulterior motive at play or there's, you know, government indoctrination. I thought that was really cool. I, uh, I'm a little bit probably different from you on the perspective of what occurred, I would say, in like the middle 70% of that episode. And it's not that I don't appreciate, to your point, the atmosphere building and the world building that existed, because it was good. I, I struggled a little bit with her acting, but beyond that, the point that they were trying to make or set up, which was evident from the moment that you saw those two characters, her and the, um, whoever that unnamed uh, individual was in the opera house with her. Like it's, it's very evident to the viewer that they're not working on the side of the Republic. And so I didn't think you needed 40 minutes to set up either what I could kind of glean was going to be one, an assassination, which it kind of ultimately ended up being of sorts or two, like the reveal that she's really not reformed. The pushing stuff is fine. Again, I think it's important and it obviously is going to drive the plot forward with like force sensitives, but ah, do you, that's a lot of economy to bake out of an episode on a limited arc to kind of just go back and forth. And I hate to say it with, yep. with some relatively flat dialogue. Now, again, to that point, um, I did enjoy the world building a little bit of Coruscant. I thought there were some funny little, you know, things like, even the going back to my original point, like the little litter up litter cleaning up robot was very funny to me because it's like they're going out of their way to make their new republic seem like they're that much better. Um, and so again, the tongue in cheek stuff like that, I definitely enjoyed. And I would tell you by the end of the episode, too, um, I was a fan again of going back to the armor and and all those group that that collective of Mando as far as you know them welcoming Bo Katan into their um into their tribe or whatever their, their clan. I think my only comment would be, and it's not a critique. It's just sort of, as we, as we work through this series, um, I know that the intent of using like 40 minutes to set up that side plot with Pershing and like the clone technology and all that is going to lead somewhere. But my question is like, can that not just be covered with some pretty well-written exposition that just maybe takes a third of that time because yeah what, what i was seeing online and i don't know if you saw this too but like i kind of saw the same consensus over the last like 72 hours which was like hey this was really cool and like do not get me wrong it was very well constructed i know that you were talking a lot about like the inspiration i'll let you talk a little bit about that like from some of the concept art originally of course not so i'm i'm also very open to like taking in the atmosphere and the aesthetic of just sort of the set dressing but at the same time i think as the viewer especially in this type of program that's not going to be on the same tone as for example like an andor 
I, I expect them to kind of get to it, right? Um, yeah. Not every episode has to be like a slam dunk, but um, I don't know. Am I being? Am I? Is that fair? Am I being too cynical? I hope I'm not, because I did enjoy it. No, all valid criticism. All valid criticism. Look, like um, it's the last point that you made is actually one that I was going to lead with uh, in my response, um, and I think it was very apt. It almost seemed like this was Mando's counterpunch to Andor, saying like, "We can do that too, you guys." Um, and it was problematic because Mando doesn't have the same thematic tones as Andor, and that's perfectly fine. Like, we're not here to bash Mando. Like, we I, it's it's it reignited my excitement for Star Wars. And I don't think, it, at least at least my appreciation and understanding of of star wars moving forward um it it's what it's it's what keeps kind of my my hope alive that that will continue to get good content so this is obviously you know if we're being critical it's because you know it's like we're being critical of like a parent or a child or or a you know someone that we love um having said that uh first of all first of all before i get into uh, other things um the volume continues to be terrible um, for our listeners, the volume is basically the the green screen that they're using when they have actors trying to walk around. Um, it was used in Obi-Wan. It's used, obviously, in Mando. Um, it is not used in Andor, or if it is, it is very limited use in, in, in Andor because um, they actually build they, – they spend their budget on the sets versus – versus everything else so and in and, and location shooting um the volume is like like a big dome and it's a green screen like you can walk there you can have like different lighting there are instances in which it it's the technology looks pretty good uh there's a canceled show on netflix called 1899 um by the same people who made a show called dark which is incredible um 1899 wasn't so good so it got canceled uh but they used they used the volume heavily in that and it actually looked pretty good um in 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 the earlier Mando episode and in this one, it looks so bad. Like I could, I could I, like, why are you not using a green screen or why are you not using like the metal plat, like a real metal platform on a train, like just the window sill of a real train, and then put something behind it. It looked, it just, it just really looked like WB graphics CGI for me, and it takes me out of the universe because Star Wars should be known for for pushing the bill on, on technology. So getting that out of the way, like in, in focusing more on kind of the story part of that. Yeah. Like it didn't need to be so long. Um, they definitely didn't need to take the time to get that point across. It's fine. Like I, I don't understand the point of character development when you've fried the character's brain. Um, and, and, and Elia Elia is, is a, um, you know, is 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 less of a character and more of like a plot device. So she didn't need really that character development anyways. Um, and quite honestly, even as straightforward as it was, I'm a little bit confused. Um, I think that we all we all saw the signs that clearly she was not with the New Republic, right? Like you had said, clearly there was some ulterior motive for her uh, befriending and getting along with Pershing. I think we all saw that. What what I didn't notice or what I thought was a little bit confusing for me, and maybe you can explain it better than, than I understood it. Um, first of all, okay. So, she, so we're to believe at least the new Republic that at least the new Republic believes that she's like a good double agent, that she's good at entrapment, which is completely a philosophy that a good government shouldn't have to one of your earlier points. Um, 
but that she's that they they trust her with entrapment missions um so someone who's like who even Dr. Pershing knew shouldn't be trusted because she's part of Moff Gideon's crew, which carries the implication of of a post-Empire warlord who has unquestioned loyalty from people who serve him and who already knew that the Empire was destroyed and continued to serve him. So, of course, uh, them coming to the New Republic should be questioned, but they make her a double agent. And then you realize that she's still working with Gideon, but which I, I thought all of that made sense. But but then she scrambles his brain. What I thought was going to happen was she just she she uses him thinking that he is helping the New Republic when actually she's siphoning right. off the the work for Gideon. And you know at some point maybe he realizes it and he becomes okay with it again because you know it's life work or whatever. Or maybe he has like a crisis uh, a, con- a crisis of conscience or whatever. Um and and bows out. What I didn't see happening was them like scrambling his brain. You know, if they wanted him gone, like she had ample opportunity to kill him, just push him off the damn train. Um, at a point that didn't land at apparently like the pillow packing factory, (laughs) by the way, (laughs) that was a bit, that was a bit much as far as like the, cause I kept thinking like, are they going to jump here? Here's where my head was going. Like I (laughs) thought she was a triple agent and I thought that the idea was going to be like in a lot of these movies and in, I'm going to make this one reference. I'm not even going to explain it, but you're going to laugh. I thought this was going to be like an old, like nun Luger plan style thing where she was going to like, yeah, she was going to bring him out. And then suddenly we were going to see that old guy. And maybe we're going to see some Imperial remnant guys. And they're like, by the way, like, bud, you're coming back with us. Like you're, there's too much knowledge in that brain. We had to like, we had to like get you off of like the core part of, you know, the, the capital area or wherever the rehabilitation area was like, and, or I thought like the Star Destroyer door was going to open and then we were going to see like a, a gaggle of, you know, Imperial guys that were like, all right, you're coming with us. Yeah. Like, but, and, and even to the point where once he was on the table, I actually thought she was going to turn it off and there was going to be some kind of escape. And then we were going to understand yeah. why she was okay. Like the, the triple agent plot is like, she had to get something else to turn him in. I never really, to your point, like I, it never made sense. And I hate to sound this, but like, I'm not so sure that intellectually that that's actually baked out either. Um, because I will tell you. Okay. Like, okay. So I'm, I'm I'm at least not crazy that yeah. it is that they took what could have been straightforward and they they confused it unnecessarily. That's right. Because I would also just tell you constructively for how that episode was even like shot and some of the lines and the acting that if there was any kind of like sort of editorial like real oversight or copy it and this isn't a critique like. They would have gone back and been like, by the way, like one other thing that needs to be clearly explained is this. So much so, by the way, like uh, on the point of like Star Wars editing and and what have you, that we talked about it on the last episode. But that's a real thing from a truly sort of like producer and or like director perspective, because the question was at the end of Empire Strikes Back, like, how are we going to explain or show the fact that like luke skywalker like how did they get away at the end so we need to like show them on this thing i'm to your original point though like that's where i'm going is to say i would have thought somebody if they really knew like filoni or favreau would be like by the way like we need to explain like let's do another shot of her communicating with uh whoever gideon's replacement is or her communicating with an unnamed imperial remnant guy um sure i think they just sort of meandered through um 
and you know for whatever reason that's just how it was executed so it's fine but yeah i don't know yeah i mean and, and we'll get more like maybe you know maybe we'll see something in the coming a uh, couple of episodes where it's like oh, okay like i guess that makes sense um which is which is one of the problems when it comes to the serial presentation of any star wars where you might have questions and then it's later explained but in the meantime you you asking those questions isn't actually wrong so uh you know like when mandalorian is told for the very first time like oh you removed your helmet like you're not you're no longer mandalorian uh, or we as Mandalorians never remove our helmets. And then everyone, you know, posts on the internet, like, here's all these examples of every Mandalorian you've ever seen in Star Wars canon taking their helmet off. Um, and then you find out, like, oh, okay, they're part of, like, this religious, the, this cult religious group that 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 isn't part of, like, the greater Mandalorian culture. So that makes sense now. Um, this one tracks a little bit different because that was more of an inconsistency versus something that's just outright confusing for no reason. Um, but yeah, we can leave it at that. Like, again, I thought it was cool to kind of see, to your point, the new Republic isn't every, like, isn't, um, isn't like this benevolent government that's, you know, peace and kumbaya for all they have, they have their own, they have their own motives of, as well. Um, and, and, and to leave, and to leave on a, on a positive note for, for, for Mando that episode, or at least the segment on, on Coruscant, we can get into the Mando parts of it in a minute. Um, uh, I liked this part. I'll show you like our uh, our our listeners on YouTube will be able to see this uh, podcast listeners will not. But you can do a quick Google search and figure it out um, right now. We're looking at uh, like a, a still from the show where, where you know, where Dr. Pershing and um, uh, the officer went to uh, Mount. I think it was called Umate uh, and, and they went out to the basically to just like cityscape and everything looked around and then i want you to take a look at this ralph mcquarrie design art which has like very similar towers uh it has the similar light up stuff i don't know if this segment we're looking at kind of in the middle is like a mountain or just kind of like a fountain plaza but uh this is clearly like filoni and favreau touch to say like hey this is what we designed based off of this look and like that part was just the chef's kiss. Cause I love it when Filoni does that kind of stuff and he does it often. And, um, you know, we get into that when we get into kind of Duro and Duros and how those, those elements have been used, uh, directly and indirectly in star Wars. But I was a big fan of, of that. Cause as we've, as we talk about a lot, we're both huge Macquarie fans, uh, love his stuff. So, uh, Jeff, I'll turn it back. To, were there any final thoughts? Did you was there anything else about the episodes, particularly with, I guess, the, the Mandalorian aspect? So we're glad that like I think that Bo-Katan probably had um, I thought this after the second episode that having seen the the, the Mythosaur or Mythosaur that she had like a, rig, a religious epiphany. Yeah. Uh, and might be might be a true believer. And I think her withholding it from Din Djarin, what she saw is maybe like her trying to be selfish about a decision that she believes that she had a vision, uh, you know, like like the proverbial burning bush. But she actually saw something. Um, and maybe that's like her avenue to claim the right to rule Mandalore once again. Um, I thought it was all I thought it was all pretty well done from what I understand. Grogu say Grogu actually also said this is the way at some point in the episode. Yeah. I yeah. so so that was kind of cool. Those like his first words, guys. Those are his first words from uh, besides like cute crap that we hear him say. So I loved that. Um, 
I, I've said this in previous episodes, but obviously our, our, unless we, you know, forwarded you a, an advanced copy for editorial reasons, um, no one has heard this. Uh, I, uh, I always watch stuff in closed caption because there's so much that you miss when you don't, because there are things that are literally not audible, but they will tell you in the closed caption. And also it helps with like who said what, because you will see that like, oh, that character is supposed to be this guy. And like, that's supposed to be that guy. Uh, so it's really helpful. Um, but yeah, you're just, you're so just I thought you. that the you're Mando stuff was good. And let me toss it to you. You're just old. Don't, don't try to old. make it about how you're absorbing the content. We're just old. We're getting old. We can't hear. I do it all Fine. the time. Um, <laughs> Fine. My last observation on that point um, about Mando, and then we can flip over. Uh, prediction, and I love making Star Wars predictions with the Mando because I'm only right, like, 10% of the time, but I like to make very audacious, audacious predictions. I remember, yeah. like, as an aside, like, when we watched, we were getting to the finale of Book of Boba Fett, and, like, we saw the Luke episode, I was like, okay, my prediction is that, like, Han Solo, Boss, Gengar, like, I was, like, strong <laughs> up and excited by it that, like, I was clearly not thinking clearly. But my actual prediction, and I feel like this is a very rational one, is that Paz Vizsla, who is the heavy Mandalorian that's voiced by Jon Favreau, um, who's sort of been like, you know, kind of this like little tertiary supporting type character. Um, there was a sequence at the end of that where, she, you know, when they welcomed them into the, um, the let's back, call it. Yeah. P- Paz has always been like, it always seems like he's sort of like the detractor, like the dissenter and that he plays sort of the role of the, um, overseer, if you will, like that sort of traditional archetype. He's the big man at arms that's always overseeing the as you yeah, as you described the con. Yeah, I mean so, he's a he's a bouncer. He's a bouncer basically. Yeah. He's loyal to that. Well, I would tell you since he perceives himself as sort of the enforcer, the way they did the parting shot of sort of him looking, where what I got from that was a sort of suspicious and or um he was like gearing up for a challenge i think what will happen is in some form or fashion at the end of the season is uh, this is not a a a big um prediction like the dark saber will have to fall to poke bo-katan but i feel like if you know the name visla and clan visla and like you know who prey visla was and his relationship to bo-katan and like even the comments that uh paz visla made to her when she showed up like you know your clan no longer exists. And the fact that his ancestor once wielded, or his, I would assume, yeah. relative once wielded the Darksaber. Like, are we gearing up for a, a showdown, if you will, between him and Bo-Katan or him and the Mando? I'm going to guess probably him and Bo-Katan because it would, it would line up to what we saw in the Clone Wars where, again, like, and I don't, admittedly, this is embarrassing, I don't remember his exact relation, if, they, if it's even been clarified to Prey Vizsla, but knowing Prey Vizsla's sort of, like, fate... Um, knowing what happened to Mandalore once he lost the dark saber, like I'm yeah. curious to see if like, and also stepping out of the world for a minute, like selfishly, this might be the moment where, you know, Favreau kind of like inserts himself more into the property as sort of like a character. Not that he would be a star, but like he he's well, not M night Shyamalan about it, but yeah. And he's not quite Tarantino about it, but like, I do, think <laughs> I think he would like give himself enough of a role. So, Again, silly prediction, but I think uh, I'm going to call it. I, I think we're we're headed to a move where he's involved trying to reclaim the dark saber, and yeah. there's some sort of reference back to, you know, his ancestor prey. 
Memphis Law. I think that's fair. Yeah, um, they're all a power, They're all a part of uh, clan or house Visla. So there's there in Mandalorian culture there is bloodline, but they also take adoptives. And so he he's associate. You might, for all intents and purposes, if he's not blood related, he's considered to be blood related. He's taking on. Uh, he takes on the, the the name and the representation of that house. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, Visla was the first person to wield the dark saber uh, as part of the first Mandalorian to join the Jedi Knights or the Jedi Order. Um, and then, you know, Mando's apparently at some point broke in and stole the dark saber back, brought it all back. There's some good, there's some great lore behind it. Um, and we can get into it at some point. Um, did you notice how Bo-Katan was, was swinging that thing around? Like it was fairly light. Um, her and both Sabine have used the dark saber without any indication that it becomes heavy or through its use. Yeah. 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 No, that's why I'm convinced we're just setting up for Boda take it over as the rightful heir. And of, of course, like we did the classic. And then Sabine takes over because she's the best. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. The Sabine fanboy. I knew it would come out at some point. <laughs> it came out on one of our old Rebels episodes and I was like, oh my God, dude. But uh, I, yeah, sim- no. I, simp- I simp hard. I simp real hard. Over <laughs> <Sabine>. <laughs> I, I also think the, the, the destruction of her castle is like the very sort of, um, not to sound like elitist as I like adjust my tie, but like it's it's that like cl- classic literary trope of like the the rightful ruler has like their kingdom and their homeland like destroyed as the, the like a microcosm of Mandalore. Yeah. She has to make it right by rebuilding and reclaiming what's really hers, like sort of her coming of age, you know, ascendancy to the throne. So I'm excited. Again, all that set aside, and I'll end on the positive note on this front too. I agree. Like you know, I'm I'm always willing in Star Wars to overlook. Um, you know, chunks of, I wouldn't even go so far as to call it mediocrity, but just maybe different pacing. But I am very, I am very excited to see where this season goes, because I would also say Mandalorian has like never disappointed as far as like its ultimate payoff. And when you look at something like Book of Boba Fett, and you look at the way that came into being, and then what ultimately the big payoff there was, yeah, don't get me wrong. Like that was like the big sort of Universal Studios moment. Like we're gonna do all the stuff, and Robert Rodriguez is gonna mm-hmm. go crazy. I, mm-hmm. With Mando, it's always been treated with, as we talked about, different tones of Star Wars short shows. There's a little bit more of the gravitas here, and then what I would classify it as like more like legacy building. So that's why we got Luke and Luke, and we got Ahsoka, and we got you can go through that list. I, I'm very excited to see what the big sort of reveals are this season yeah um, we're obviously building to something like really cool um, he's gonna ride a mythosaur we know it he's gonna <laughs> ride it that's someone's cool. it someone is someone is i should say someone's riding a mythosaur <laughs> all right all right man well that that caps it on that caps it on mandalorian episode three there was obviously more but again we're you know we're 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 moving along. We're moving along. We're keeping a good pace on the podcast. We're not going to deliver any two hour podcast that no one has time to listen to and that you all you just look at and you're like, ah, no. <laughs> so uh, we'll move we'll move to our uh, our next topic of uh, the planet Duro and the people, uh, the Duros people. So um, the Duro is real close. The the Duro system has 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 Corellia, it has Duro. It is um as you can see like 
uh, right here. It actually, the planet Duro meets on two different trade routes, the Kirlian Run and then the Kirlian Trade Spine. Um, it, so it's like, the, it's like the fork for that. Uh, it's very close to Coruscant. Um, and you know, there's a couple of, again, for our YouTube watchers, there's a couple of other places that I circled on the map to give you some, some, uh, reference for other cool stuff in star Wars. Um, but with that, you know, the, the planet Duro itself is home to the Duros people or the Duro people. I'm sorry. The, uh, the, the planet is Duro. The people are Duros with an S, um, this is what they look like. Uh, for those again that aren't watching, they are they are bluish green uh, aliens. They're humanoid basically. Um, you know, two arms, two legs, stand upright. Um, they have they have big bulbous heads, no hair, big red eyes, no nose, and then like an elongated uh, going down to their face. Um, they look to me like the most typical gray alien. Like the, like they have yes. that most, like normal alien look. That's like what Cad Bane species is. But like of all yep. the aliens in Star Wars, to me, they look like, if you imagine just a regular gray alien, instead of like gray skin, it's blue. Instead of black eyes, red. Like that's that's how I think of them. But. Yeah, I think I think that's a really apt uh, description. Um, so um they they show they show up very very early on in star wars lore um they used to be called like goggle eyes before because they didn't even have a species name yet so you know these are these are people uh they're in a new hope right so they're in they're in chalman's cantina uh chalman is a wookie by the way uh i learned that recently i didn't know that before um so so this is this is of course the cantina where um Luke and Obi-Wan go to meet Han Solo the the infamous cantina. Um so the two Duros there uh they go by a lot of different names cuz they're a little bit nefarious in their workings. Uh Owen Damal and Chachi Damal. Um they have a couple of uh, uh aliases like I said Elors Matic and Bringe for Owen and uh, Banis Keeg and Probos for Chachi. Uh, husband and wife, they work with the Huts. They actually uh, own Docking Bay 94. A uh, little, little tidbit for you there. Uh, and they were pretty angry when Hanso blasted out without paying for his parking. Um, blew the gates off of that. And so uh, these two these two Duros that owned, owned Docking Bay 94, pretty angry with Jabba. They, they used to work with him. And they got pretty angry afterwards and stopped. So um, what are they doing, though, on on Tatooine? Jeff, do you want to get into a little bit of the planet, a little bit of background there? Is there there's some interesting facts that you want to drop on on our on our pals? Elors Matic, by the way, who's Owen them all. Uh, side note, I have a custom made one six figure of her. So that's a random. Yeah. Poll. Don't know why. Um, so, yeah. Cool thing about Corellia, when Daniel said we wanted to talk about Corellia, there, there's sort of three ways to think about it. There's what's known as, as Daniel described, sort of the, the Corellian sector, which is the broad sort of um, all-encompassing space that has a number of planets. There's the actual Corellian system, which is a number of these planets. Duros is one of them. There's a few others. Salonia is the other big one um, that include basically different planets and different species as part of that, that sort of solar system, if you will. And then there's the actual planet Corellia, which we won't really talk about today. Um, side note, like Salonia and Duros are probably Duro are probably my favorite, you know, side planets. One because Salonia is populated by otter people, and Duro <laughs> yes. has, has, has the actual Duro species. So, as one of those sort of core planets, my favorite thing about 
the Joros people, is it um, they are largely responsible in the lore for creating like hyperspace travel and basically mm -hmm. enabling um, the concept of like true intergalactic travel for for the galaxy. But the really short version is, you know, effectively it was a planet that was serious to a number of like environmental plague externality you know pollution the, the planet effectively became inhospitable and still is but largely due to their own mining in advancement of uh in advancement of hyperspace and travel technology technology yeah yep they mainly live in these sort of like platforms um that orbit the actual planet it, itself it is a corporatocracy like most of the Corellian um system is um and i would say the interesting thing about the Corellian system including the planet duro is that whether you're talking about Corellian humans versus like Coruscanti humans or the Duros people or Salonians, they're all like fiercely independent and they all have these sort of like personalities and dispositions on the whole to generalize that make them um, very different and very autonomous even from the New Republic in like the current mm -hmm. lore, or even in the old expanded universe lore. Um, the thing I thought that my favorite thing about them just generally and like what makes them considered like Corellian in the sense of like they're part of it is that you know generally they've always had a tight relationship with the actual sector itself um they always saw themselves as sort of separate but they definitely again established themselves as as players um they are I think of them to generalize again as sort of like the spacefaring civilization of all the yeah. species like they are truly pioneers and explorers if you ever have a chance to take a look at the fantasy flight games and I, I think it's actually technically out of print even though disney did sponsor it it's basically the the dnd equivalent in the star wars universe gosh there's such a wealth of content we jano and i each have like entire source books dedicated <laughs> to the carillion sector um, yes and so we do <laughs> it's it really into like what the planet of duro is like the economics of the planet um the duro uh, i think it's like the starship right shipyards that's like part mm -hmm. of the big starship guild that they're part of. And, and in that, basically, you have what's known as the Korean Engineering Corporation. They are like the, um, like in, to, to equate them to our modern sort of current world, um, like Sinar Systems or Income, they're like the Boeing and the Lockheeds and the Raytheons. Like they're this giant yeah. starship guild conglomeration. Um, but it's cool because, again, like when you have species like this that have such strong identities, they have such technological capabilities and and I, I would say just generally cultural autonomy, it always allows them in the lore of Star Wars to remain not totally um, separated from sort of even like the wrath or the, the, the control of the Empire because the Empire does like occupy these planets at, at its peak, but they never really try to disrupt it because they it provides such economic stability and, and like i would just say benefit to the galaxy as a whole it'd be like invading yep. switzerland why um and so again like that's one of the really cool things I, i've always liked about them is like they have sort of this autonomous um you know personality or whatever yeah but yeah i mean i would tell you too like the interesting thing for me was that for them at the end of the clone wars sort of as as i remember this like when the when the empire was basically trying to secure up and either make these like colonial worlds or outposts um basically like duro the duros people basically like fled and that's also kind of what allowed them to maintain sort of their their control and their autonomy like there you can take the planet like th there's nothing here for us of note right like it's a bombed out wasteland you can try to nationalize yep. the resources but like there's no there's no reason to do that um 
but yeah, yeah, I wanted to get into that a little bit. That's interesting. Like, like so, so everyone's going to tussle with the Empire to an extent, right? Um, the Empire obviously took took advantage of the resources there, but the Duro people, the Duros people, were the ones that started all of the mining and started like all of the bad things that happened to the planet. The Empire uh, exacerbated them, um, but didn't do that much worse. And what's what was odd to me is that because the Duros people are such a like spacefaring, traveling, adventurous kind of people, they were very much meh about the destruction of their home world and the fact that they couldn't go back there. They were like, ah, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll, we'll go travel somewhere else, which I thought is like a very um, interesting trait. Like it, it's always good. I don't like, I don't like uh, a concept where, you know, aliens are basically just palette swaps of humans that think the same way that have like the same values that care about the same things, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea that humans would, um, Obviously, today, care a great deal if Earth was destroyed, as we have not colonized. Um, but it, in in a similar position, like even humans in uh, the Star Wars galaxy, I don't know that there is a home world, quote unquote, for humans. I don't think that they ever actually uh, announced that. But certainly, if there was a primarily or almost entirely human uh, planet that was destroyed or ravaged, I think if the humans in there would kind of feel for it. It goes so. back to like the the mythology where like in their universe as a whole there's like the concept of the celestial so how they think of god and like what i do know is like i have read a little bit just on that topic that it's it the evolutionary development was no different than it was here in like real world earth where effectively humans were primates that eventually evolved but from a planetary perspective i don't think it's ever clear and that's interesting right because going back to the duros if you remember in episode one there's the nemoidians um they're the, yeah. the characters so one of the first worlds that the Duros colonized was Nemoidia and those species, which are distinctly different and they are a different race and a different species. Like they are still effectively biological cousins and you can see enough of the similarities. Mm-hmm. That's part of the other thing too, is there's sort of this um, racial slash class problem where they talk about in, in, especially in the new Republic years, like how did Nemoidians perceive the Duros and vice versa. So all that to say, like, you could spend, you could actually probably teach an entire undergraduate course on, I would argue, like just some of the, on any number of these like planets or systems. Yeah. So much content that's created. Like people joke about how like Tolkien created a language. And so to like add more to Lord of his language, he wrote Lord of the Rings. I would tell you like the level of depth that exists for this kind of stuff. I mean, We'll never talk about it on the podcast, but if you really wanted to go read about like the economic composition of how like the Corellian sector does business, and you mentioned at the beginning, like the significance of the Corellian trade route, somebody's written about it. It's deep. Yeah. It goes very yeah. deep. So we're giving yeah. you truly like a waterfall of information very quickly, but you're not even, we're not even scratching the surface. So again, all that to say, like, it's a very interesting system. They were also one of like the alien races, in my opinion, that was overlooked as a cantina alien but obviously came to prominence once like Filoni and lucas went and did a look back and then hence we had the creation and the introduction of cad bane and he to me is one of my favorite characters he's now iconic and i think that also helped bring that that alien species to the forefront of kind of the star wars you know frontal cortex if you will right I'm yeah see um because for a long time you know we saw rodians and twi'leks and wookies and i would say duros are now just just as much a part of that 
Yeah, I love it. Uh, the the there is there's also a um, uh, three seven five inch, so the 18th scale. This the small the small version of action figures um, that has Elor's Madak, and um, he was he was not created. He was he was like a fan. He was a fan's choice vote, and so it's good to your point to see that like Duros are getting their due um, independently now that you know Cad Bane. Cad Bane is probably um, when you look at characters that haven't been in a Star Wars movie, notwithstanding the fact that Clone Wars was technically released with a pilot movie in theaters. Um, I think it's real safe to say for me, from my perspective, that um, Ahsoka, Rex and Cad Bane are the three coolest content characters that uh, ah, got to be careful because of the novels. Um, but they pr- probably still, even so, uh, are probably still the, the three coolest characters I've been created that have never actually been in a movie. Yeah. Um, and so, and so that, so Cad Bane goes, goes a long way towards that. He's getting a hot toys toy. He's got a couple of releases and a couple of different action figure lines. He's, he's a really prominent character overall in Clone Wars. Um, and clearly obviously came back in Book of Boba Fett. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, Duro's people are, they play, they play a pretty big role. They, interestingly, um, they actually have like the same lifespan, if not marginally shorter than actual real life humans. Um, so you're, you, you, you know, you run into like a 70, 75 year old Duros. That's old, man. That's old for them. Like Cad Bane was, Cad, I can't believe he didn't have a Walker. Um, but so, so they, they have that. Uh, but before they became a corporatocracy, apparently one of their queens lived to the age of 200. So, and like, this is a ridiculous thing, right? Like I'm talking about a queen in a, in a fake history of a fake planet and the fake <laughs> universe. Uh, and I'm talking about something that happened thousands of years before the story that didn't happen that we're talking about now. Um, but they, I just thought it was interesting that like, they actually had some, they probably embellished their own history. I I doubt that uh, if a if a lifespan of a species is approximately 75 years to 80 years that you're pushing 200. I just don't think that's possible. I don't think that humans. I don't think there's any 200 year old human. So no, I, um, it's interesting that stories that like that that like even the, the the authors and the content creators will take that into account to like embellish for the sake of that's what that's what those people in universe would do for their own stories. So. The Duros people. I love it. Check it out. Uh, and I would also encourage anybody for probably next to nothing. Actually, I, I could be totally wrong on that. <laughs> the source books on Amazon are very cool. Um, I'm saying Amazon because that's the easiest, <coughs> excuse me, easiest way to go get the Fantasy Flight books because I think they are long out of print. Yeah, uh, but they're gonna start getting really pricey uh, when people yeah. when when the when they get snagged if there's. If something happens in the new content, Filoni pulls from these. He pulls directly from these. Um, if our, you know, for again, for our YouTube folks, like the Fantasy Flight, uh, we're using the Fantasy Flight map. Everything that we've displayed is from Fantasy Flight games. Uh, I claim no copyright on this stuff. But like the five trade routes that are indicated by different colors that look kind of like a train map, those were mentioned expressly in uh, in in an earlier episode of Mando when um, when you see the class that uh, the, the classroom that's that's being defended by Cobb Vanth in that town, um, like the 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 protocol droids talking about the the five major trade routes of the galaxy these are that so like feloni pulls from this stuff and once more people figure that out and start trying to like 
you know, one up him or, or guess what he, where he's going next or figure out what plot points are or learn more about things that he's inserted. I mean, these are the places to go. And I can't, I cannot overstate that. Like I read word for word, some of the stuff, the ships that, that the, the ship that, uh, that, that the night owls and Bo-Katan and, um, um, Mando helped, uh, helped steal, uh, in, in last season, that's a ship that is, that you can, you can buy in the fantasy flight game and it has all kinds yeah. of stats like it's described. So it, I'm not, I don't like, this isn't an episode on those books, but they create, they are uh, an amazing, an amazing place uh, to go for, uh, to go for that information. And also you're, you're exactly right. There were three series. I won't dwell on this. There were three sort of, um, avenues by which the fantasy flight role-playing game can be played and edge of the empire obviously focuses more on the you know the scum and villainy if you will the age of rebellion books as i understand them daniel because they aggregate both early disney content but also truly what they're now classifying as legends content but like the wealth of biographical and like uh encyclopedic knowledge that existed for the eu those source books, like I missed the boat on those three years ago because they were already like, I, as I remember, like Age of Rebellion was already like a 200, it was up to like $250. Yeah. Book. And I'm like, oh, geez, like th- this comes back to a theme I'm going to bring up in every episode of our podcast, which comes back to us being like protectors of the holocron. Like that was one more thing that I now know is being <laughs> slowly, you know, siphoned out of out of the, the market, but I desperately want to get my hands on because it's going to become only rare and rare, but anyways, I digress. Um, all that to say, yes, go check them out. They're very cool. And the artwork in them, we're talking about Ralph McQuarrie, give him a lot of credit, man. In this, in these fantasy flight books, the artwork, especially of Duros and like some of the nightscapes and the mm-hmm. fact that they'll give you, this isn't even considered an exhaustive list, but like 150 different ships and like a biography on like each ship type. And, you know, people that are in certain sectors and what they're doing and all that, like they're fun. It's, it's a worthy read. So yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. Um, I am looking. I mean, I, I'm looking forward to our next segment where we where we dive in, and we'll definitely use these guys as uh, these books as uh, source material. So, uh, without further ado, contest. Um, here we are. Giveaway. Not a contest. Not a contest. It's a giveaway. You don't have to do anything um, except for the following things that you have to do. <laughs> uh follow us on instagram at the sandcrawler podcast there are no underlines there are no spaces it is for all intents and purposes one word the sandcrawler podcast on instagram we are on podbean we're on pretty much every podcast platform except for apple because i Despite giving them as many credit cards as I have, they still are telling me I do not have a payment method on file for a service I don't need to pay for. We'll get it figured out. Anyways, uh, yeah, anyways, anyways, um, send us the code word, Elors. Send it to our uh, the Sandcrawler podcast Instagram account. Send it as a direct message. I'll see that you or Jeff will see that that you are following. We will see that you have sent us the word, the first 10 listeners. And that's all you have to do. That's all you have to do. Send us this word uh, and, 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 and follow us. You don't have to tell anybody else. You don't have to put it in your stories. You don't have to tag your friends. Um, we might make you do all of that stuff later. 
for a different giveaway, but for this one, you do not have to. You will get a Micro Machines sand crawler shipped to you in the U.S. Oh my God, please, U.S. only. I'm not. I'm not shipping to Denmark. Um, uh, let us know, and 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 we'll send you something out. Um, and we'll go from there. And like Jeff said, uh, the the giveaways will get bigger and better. We are not above buying listenership. So um, with that, since I opened, Jeff, I'm going to let you uh, uh, sign us off on this one. All right. Yeah. I echo your sentiments. I'm not shipping to some crazy far off country. I've, I've already made this mistake a few times, um, but we'll make it work. We like our international listeners. Uh, I thought this was a solid, solid week of Mando content. I'm excited for next week. We will graciously welcome any feedback too and i actually think daniel one thing we forgot to mention but we should start doing um as it would be befitting of ourselves and other members of the star wars community and as gigantic nerds i'm sure i misspoke in this episode and i'm sure you misspoke too and if mm -hmm. there are corrections we will probably do like a two-minute corrections uh on yeah. subsequent episodes look i am audacious and arrogant enough to claim that I'm a Star Wars expert, but I am certainly wrong a lot. And I know you feel the same way too. So, hey, if something bothered you, let us know. We'll run a corrections uh, or a, a a revision, if you will, at the end. And we'll give you a shout out. We'll give you a shout out on the yeah. show, which might not seem like much now um, because it'll be like me and Jeff listening. <laughs> but, but eventually, you know, when we get, when we get big and famous, uh, we, we'll give you a shout and people will listen to like, man, uh, those guys, those guys, uh, that that they, they got corrected. They they pretty pretty good job at Star Wars Nerd 55. We're Thanks. also going to do our level best to try to bring on some guests um, of repute in the Star Wars community. We have some yeah. ideas. We're not going to talk about it, but it's forthcoming. So know that not every episode is just going to be us waxing philosophical. We'll probably start doing some pretty cool interviews. Yeah. Um, but yeah, generally, Daniel, I think too, uh, we'll talk a little bit about. Um, you know, these sort of deep dives we'll pull from the essential guides, the fantasy flight guides. If you guys think this is worthwhile, we want to try to mix it up every week and, and make sure that you're, you're taking something from it and you're having fun. So we appreciate the listenership. And I would just say thank you again. And may the force be with you. May the force be with you. <laughs>